2: And welcome to another mini-sode called She Builds Charettes." Yes. So as a reminder, in these charrettes, we talk more about certain topics, make major announcements, conduct interviews. Basically, She Builds charettes is our playground for things outside of our typical format.
0: Right. So no need to worry. We're still doing our regular show. This is just an added bonus. Oh,
3: yeah. And today, <laughs> we're going to continue a conversation we began on our last charrette. And we've invited a wonderful person to join us today. So let's welcome Kate Regev. Yay!
1: Hi, everyone. Yay! Hi, Kate. Thanks for having
3: me. Thank you for being here. So Kate is a designer, writer, architectural historian, basically all the things we love on the show. And we Mm -hmm. are so excited to have her today with us. Kate, would you like to share with our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do?
1: Sure. Well, of course, thank you again for having me. I'm first and foremost a big fan of the show. I would say that uh, I'm, I'm a New York-based architect and historian, as you mentioned, um, but I've always really been interested in women's stories and including, and most specifically, those related to kind of the building industry, so architects, engineers, designers, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah, I've just kind of been able to, in my career, both work as an architect on buildings, specifically mainly historic buildings, preservation-related projects, um, adaptive reuse, and bring in some of that um, history that I love. So um, I'm really fortunate in that way that I've kind of been able to combine my passion.
2: That's awesome. Okay, so Kate, tell us, how did you get involved with Or actually, let's take a step back, because in our charrette, we referenced the chapter of this book that you were a part of. We specifically read your chapter. But take us back a little bit. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about the book that you were a part of and how did you get involved in working in
1: that book? The Brutledge Companion to Women in Architecture, the official name. So initially, I I got involved with um, contributing a chapter because the Society of Architectural Historians, it's an international, actually, um, kind of organization for architectural historians. Every year, they have um, an annual symposium, and they were, I guess, like maybe four or five years ago, they were, um, one of their topics was women in architecture, kind of in history. And so I, I tried to get into the um, symposium and present, but instead they asked me actually to contribute a chapter to a forthcoming book, which would be used kind of as, maybe not, I wouldn't call it light reading, um, but it's more like the kind of thing you would read if you are in a university class and your professor assigns you to read a chapter on a certain topic. So it's really envisioned right. more as kind of an academic book than inside reading for most people I would say at least. So that's how I got involved. It was through the Society of Architectural Historians and it kind of, you know, taken off a little bit from there. There's been a couple more symposiums and um, a couple of other events related to it.
3: So, I'm actually really interested in what is the Society of Architectural Historians and how do we join? Like
1: are, <laughs> are we qualified? Can we talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like taking notes. you guys are definitely qualified. It is I would call it like nerd central basically for architectural historians. (laughs) I (laughs) Um, wish people could see my smile. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us more. Um, I don't know when it was founded, but it's been around for decades and it's kind of a preeminent organization, international, and then it has local um, and national chapters for architectural historians. They actually even have specific chapters specifically for women, um, and it's just it's like a really well known organization I guess within architectural historian society group I would say.
3: Okay, we so, need to. How to did we, at we at not that. know Chat this. About this? I know. Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: yes. uh, we can do that offline. Yeah, sure. I won't bore people. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I would. I think probably uh, when I. I mean, yeah. This is maybe doesn't need to go into. Uh, but when I was in grad school one summer, I worked for the National Park Service um, as a histor- an architectural historian. And that kind of like opened up a bunch of doors to other historians as well. But so even though it. I'm a practicing architect, you know, like I, I have experience doing that, too. And that kind of opened that up to me. And then some of my history professors in grad school, too. Cool. That's so
0: cool. Yeah, that really is. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you researched for the book and how you landed on the topic that you did Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm and I'm Mm -hmm. curious too did they ask you specifically to talk about partnerships or was that sort of your decision
1: yeah good question so I initially got interested in women in architecture and kind of especially early female architects while I was in grad school maybe you all have experienced this. you know, you're in a history class and you learn about all these famous architects and all of them are men and right. all of them are white. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, really? Like not a single female architect was like doing anything that's worthy of us talking about. And I was just kind of like flabbergasted by that. And so I started to kind of Look around and do a little bit of light research myself. And I started to kind of uncover that there were a lot of early female architects that people just weren't talking about. And so I ended up doing some research while I was in grad school on some of the early female architects that attended Columbia. While I was doing that, I started realizing that a lot of the women who graduated in the 19 teens, the 1920s, the 1930s, basically all the way up until the 50s and 60s, most of them went to studied architecture, and then they had a lot of trouble finding jobs once they graduated. And many of them, I saw, married um, some of their classmates and then started working with them and opening a firm together. And I thought that was really interesting. It was totally not something I would have wanted to do, you know, as I personally <laughs> need space between kind of my home life and my work life, but yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Fair. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized that It was clear that there was a reason for this and it was clear that it and it started to become more and more clear that it was because it was one of the few ways that women could enter the profession and then stay in it once they decided maybe to have a family Um, because there would be that partnership, that shared responsibility of work and home life. And so I wouldn't say that the Society of Architectural Historians, that they asked me about this, but it was more a topic that I had kind of stumbled upon and that I I found really, really interesting for many reasons.
3: So in your conversation, you kind of stumbled upon it, how the connections and the dots that you were drawing. But what was something that really surprised you about all the research that you were doing? What was the most surprising thing?
1: So, in the beginning, I had a feeling that that the reason why pe- why women were doing this was so that they could practice architecture. What really surprised me was that some women specifically said that had it not been for their partnership with their husband, they would not have been able to be architects. And that shocked me. Mm. I guess I had figured, you know someone who pushed their way through school being maybe the only female at the time, I figured that they would like figure it out somehow and that they would stick it out in the profession, even if it was hard. But the reality is that there's only so much, I guess, adversity you can you can take. Right. Um, and I really was kind of surprised that they acknowledged that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to stick through it. So That really was um, kind of an interesting thing for me to realize. And also I think um, it, yes, enabled them to be in the profession, but it also enabled them to have a family. And so right. some, some people I spoke to who's, Parents were architects, maybe in the 40s and 50s. They talked about how it really let the the mom, yes, have children, uh, but that it let the the couple co-parent in many ways. You know, they would maybe be like sketching in the studio that both parents um, and the kids Mm -hmm. would be able to be there. Whereas, like you know, just it was a really different kind of family structure than I think I maybe had anticipated it being for many people.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it's so interesting because I do think, like, even in our show, there are some women who, like you said, are so determined, you know, you have to be determined, right, to be the only woman in your class and to, like, get through that and then to, like, go out into the profession where you know you're not going to be very well accepted. And some women, you know, really did push through that and, like, started their own firms and, you know, just kind of went solo with it. But I could see how Mm -hmm. that would not be... You know, for a lot of women that would feel like that's a lot of work and that's like, you know, they still want to have a family and to like be able to do that in a way that mm-hmm. allows them to kind of have that work-life balance and have a partner who understands um, yeah. when it's not societally really acceptable. Um, I can see how that right. would feel like the only option or like a good way to feel like you could stay in the profession.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
3: This conversation has reminded me a lot about someone we talked about in season one, Elizabeth Bragg. She was the first civil engineer, the first woman to graduate as a civil engineer in the United States. And Mm -hmm. I remember that after that, that's the end. Like she got married, she had kids and that was it. And I, I read the story and I felt so disillusioned. Like you, I was like, I can't believe that she pushed through all these things. And then she, and to me, she gave up. But I wasn't there. And I take for granted everything that we have today. And yeah. I realized, like, she probably did not just give up. It's just that she couldn't do it. Like, there wasn't an opportunity mm-hmm. for her. So everything that you said just took me back. And two years after reading her story, I have empathy for
1: her now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've- You know, I mean, I think that's one of the funny things, too, is like sometimes you're like, well, why didn't X happen or why didn't Y happen? And I think, yeah, sometimes I realize I'm looking at the past with kind of my present point of view. And so Mm -hmm. I have to kind of stop myself, you know. And yeah, I I totally agree. I've been there, too. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. And also, like, they were pigeonholed, too, sometimes. Like, sometimes they were able to get into the profession, but then they were stuck doing residential or kitchens and things like that so yeah. that's something that we talked about together just like the perception of how it was in that time the work that they were able to do versus now
0: yeah I guess I'm curious to like we talked about it in our charrette a little bit about residential architecture and kind of the perception of that and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and why a lot of these women got not necessarily pigeonholed but like people assumed like oh that's what you will work on kind of thing or like that's the projects that they were hired for And so I'm just curious how you see how that was in the past versus, like, how it is today and if that perception still exists.
1: I mean, I think the perception definitely still exists. You know, I know you mentioned in the Charette Margaret um, Hunter, for example, and that she had this fantastic spread in Life magazine, Mm -hmm. full color. You know, she's, like, dressed to the nines. Her kids are in the photos. She's feeding them. She's doing all this, like, housework stuff. And there's nothing about her working even though she designed the house herself. Yeah. And so there's definitely, you know, and, and that even goes back to, I guess, what I would, what I think is probably the first husband-wife partnership, Louise Dessune. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She, you know, had, um, she was a really prolific architect in Buffalo um, in the 1880s, and she Uh, specifically wanted to not work only on residential. So she Mm -hmm. needed a point to do almost like every single building type you could think of, including, and in particular, a lot of uh, schools. Her parents were teachers. Um, And so that was a building type that she was kind of familiar with and that she had connections to in the industry. But, you know, the immediate thought would be that women are great at doing things like designing closets, figuring out where the things should go in the kitchen. And and that idea has really, I think, even persisted today. You know, I don't know if any of you have ever been on a job site and someone assumes that you're the interior designer or that you're someone's intern or something like that. But in fact, you're the architect and the person who did all the drawings. And, you know, so I think certainly it's gotten better. But I think that perception still exists today you know and I know we're working to change it but I think it's still with us at least to some extent yeah for sure yeah yeah Lizzie you're um
3: you work in residential architecture has that happened to you
0: yeah I think since I've always worked in residential architecture or pretty much that's mostly what I've done after school I think um it's sort of interesting to me because we talked about this on the charrette. but I I always wanted to do residential architecture. But in school, it definitely felt like it was maybe less glamorous, even though there's tons of you know glamorous residential architecture happening. And there are really like famous firms who are doing that. But I don't know why. I think that perception is definitely there. And um, I haven't had an instance that I can think of on a job site where somebody mistook me for um, – an interior designer and that kind of thing. But I do think like definitely trying to assert myself because I was young, you know, when I started and that kind of thing. Um, I'm lucky in that there are a lot of women at my firm, so it doesn't feel that unusual and that kind of thing too with the, and the contractors all know us, you know, like it's, we work with people who we're, you know, super familiar with. So, but I, I would imagine that that's a thing that happens a lot, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, and I just want to point out too that I think the dynamic in a larger firm, even if it's a small firm that's like, you know, five to 10 people, is probably different than if it's just you and your husband, right? And oh, so for imagine sure. Imagine it's just you yeah. and your husband, right? Who's the contractor probably going to go and talk to when there's an issue with some like, you know, when there's some issues, you know? I think yeah. it is, it's also about mm-hmm. context. If the context is you and another guy, uh, the assumption might be that you're do- picking the fabric and the curtains and the window treatment and he's dealing with mm-hmm. structure and, you know, like all that kind of thing. Right.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so true. Now I'm like thinking about
1: it. I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that this is, you know, the worst thing in the world. Or, no, or, no, that's not it. That, uh, but saying. Mm-hmm. I, I but I think that it's something that still exists today, even though there's no question about it. I mean, things have changed and we've come a yeah. long way. For sure. For sure.
3: I agree. But it's important that we keep talking about it and sharing the experiences because it's still happening.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: Well, something else that I was reading in your chapter and that I found really interesting was um, architecture and motherhood. Like these ladies that were mothers and professionals and how they did that. And even on our show, every time I read about a woman that became a mother and started her own firm, I'm like, what, how do you do that? Like, that is so amazing, all the work that goes into architecture and all the work that goes into being a mother. And we wanted to talk to you about that, because you're a new mother. I hope that it's okay that we say, <laughs>
1: congrats. Of course. <laughs> I mean, that the, the truth of the matter is that I really, I see, you know, I wrote that chapter probably two, three years ago, before I even knew that I was going to be a mom. And I, I look back on it with really a different perspective. I really understand the importance of a partnership that is both at work and at home. I feel really lucky that I have that in my personal life. And so I can see how really you, you need that in order, in order to stay in the workforce in order to get through the day in order to get through the night also with a young baby you need a partnership you know yeah and so I really I I look back on what these women were able to accomplish and how they were able to balance things even though I'm sure at the time it felt like they couldn't balance things it sometimes it feels like it's impossible to do it all but I just am so impressed with what they were able to do, the projects they were able to complete, the way their families talked about them and how they influenced them, how they inspired them. It really just kind of put things into a new perspective for me as a new mom. You know, it really has been very special in that sense, too.
2: I'm very curious to know of that feeling in between after you wrote the chapter and the moment that you found out you were pregnant. Um, just because on our show, we have talked about how like in this season, one of our first episodes in this season, episode 41, uh, Dora got, she talks about uh, her regrets of not being able to have children. Like she she wanted children, but it just it she was just so focused on her career. So it just never happened for her. And it's a conversation that we've had too of in the past of how just like how women we f- we feel like sometimes they have to choose. Whether having a career or having or having a family, so I don't know. I just we've had we've talked about it in the past of some women that just were like, no, not in the cards. All all in my career, and that's what it is. But have you in your research have you come across just that specific like regrets or those like conscious decisions that women were like, no, I I want to have a career with my partner, or I'm just gonna. Just no babies for me,
1: <laughs> I think there's probably been a mix of all of that. you know, I think there were some couples mm-hmm. that knew that kind of maybe their their work was their child, their work was their baby mm-hmm. um, or their firm their firm was that was kind of like the thing they created together and that they worked on together, but then there definitely were firms where the mom realized that when she had children, she really had to take a back seat. I think. In particular, you know, even if you shared an office with your husband in maybe the 30s, 40s or 50s, the expectation for most people was that if you were still going to work, which was already kind of a surprise, probably you took a back seat, right? And maybe you were still the one who would pick up the kids and drop them off from school and you would spend the afternoons with them. And maybe it would really be in the evenings, like after they went to bed, that you would be drafting or you would be doing some calculations, right? So Mm -hmm. I think that it was very much something that people, for the women who decided to have families, they realized that they probably, that societal and maybe even intermarit, like um, among them and between them and their husband, the expectation was still that they would be the primary caregiver, which by default meant that maybe they were a little bit less active in the practice. And then there's also people who, yeah, started a firm with their husband and then realized that once they had kids, it just wasn't possible to continue being part of the firm, to continue being part of the practice, that either, you know, having a kid was too hard, maybe the husband's expectations changed, maybe finances changed. That even happened sometimes when I know one of the first, um, actually it was technically the second, female partnership where it was two women who studied at Columbia together and then yes. they went out, out mm-hmm. on, yeah, Shank and Mead. They went out on their own together afterwards and they practiced together. They had some really successful projects and then one of them got married. And then once she got married and started to have a family, basically she no longer uh, was practicing with her partner. And so I think that there's kind of like everyone's path is a little bit different. And it's hard sometimes mm-hmm. to really know what was going on, but I think they have some idea that it probably wasn't, you know, the 50-50 partnership we might imagine today.
2: Right. In, in preparation for this episode, I mean, I know that by the time this charrette airs, our season would have already been complete. But uh, so far, we've had a few episodes uh, that we've talked about. We talked about Dora God. That was the first episode. We talked about Charlotte Perrion, and we talked about Mary Mahoney Griffin. Um, any that like stood out to you, perhaps, or questions that you just want to ask us as— fellow architectural historians. Oh.
1: <laughs> I'm claiming well, it. So I guess if you guys, how would do you, it's just so interesting to me that you guys have started this. I mean, and that you've kept going, but I feel like so many people start podcasts and then they just are like, eh, two episodes, I'm tired. Where do you guys get the ideas to do your episodes or like the themes for your season? Where does that come from? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll let the
2: ladies answer for the rest of the seasons, because I guess we just have these discussions and we notice these patterns. But in terms of our latest season, we had toyed around the idea of partnerships. But I guess what really, like, made the idea blossom is our earlier conversations with you, Kate. Exactly. It was you. I I think... (laughs) We had pitched the idea to our, in, our social media of, like, what topics you or themes you want to see happen. Mm, yeah, and I And I think, Kate, you, you brought it up and we just started talking. And then you are like, hey, by the way, I have this chapter of this book. And next thing you know, we are reading the chapter. And then the floodgates open of <laughs> all these different partnerships that we were thinking about before we, like, we had an idea before reading the chapter. And then we were like, we have to do it. And there's probably going to be a part two
0: yeah I think that's another thing we've discovered is that they'll we'll definitely need another season of it because there were mm-hmm. way more women that we wanted to talk about than we had time for this season,
1: yeah, but I think that just goes to show we all think that it's like star architects and individual people who are who build things, but really it's all it's all like collaboration. it really is yeah. and mm-hmm. is, there's so much more out there once you kind of like start to scratch under the surface a little. Oh, yeah, for sure.
3: Yeah. Did you have a favorite of all the ladies that you discussed in the chapter of the book?
1: You know, I mean, of course, I'm, I admire Desune so, so deeply. I mean, she was just mm-hmm. such a pioneer, such a trailblazer, so unique. Right. Um, and she was so talented in her widespread abilities you know i mean i my mind like i kind of lose my mind trying to think about all those different project types and and how she approached them and how she was able to do both kind of the the design the construction and also like a paperwork part you know like invoicing talking to yeah. clients she just was so multi-talented um but i also i really have to say that i i did love that thread in life magazine um on mm-hmm. margaret hunter's it's just like the furniture, the colors. I just, I loved it. I was like, I want every piece of furniture in this thread. And, <laughs> and I loved that she, that they emphasized that she was a mom. I think that that was really rare. Of course, I was bummed that mm. they didn't really emphasize the kind of the professional side of her, but I, yeah, I, I just like, I really admire that and that she has such a successful partnership with her husband. You know, they practice, I think both in New Hampshire and then they moved down to the South and I just i really admire the projects they did their style and i, I guess in the end also their furniture <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i that that stood out to me too in in that chapter margaret hunter just yes well i didn't i read the chapter so i didn't get to see the life spread but i think we've always talked about how like we want architecture to be more of this like public facing thing or at least like it seems so underrepresented in so many areas. So the idea that there was an article on an, an architect who just so happens to be a woman and a mom, but they focused on the women and the mom part. Um, but so, so to me, it was just really like, it was like a roller coaster of emotions. You're like, yes, recognition. And they're like, wait, you're not, you're not recognizing her fully. But yay? I, it's just, I don't know. I, it was really eye opening for me, just of the public's perception of it all. Yeah.
3: OK, well, this conversation has been really great and we want to end it with one question for you, Kate. In our regular episodes, we pick a caryatid, a woman who is working today holding up the profession. So, Kate, who is a caryatid whose work you admire right now?
1: You know, this was such a hard question to figure out how to answer it. was almost like someone asking me what my favorite song was, you know? <laughs> That's uh, true. <laughs> I was like, gosh, I've been days thinking about this. But, okay, I have two two responses. One is I would just like to say that any mom working in the profession is a karyotid to me. I mean, the balancing they do between life and work and sleep and eating and taking care of themselves is just really such a challenge, as I've learned in the past eight months. Um, so 100%. they are all moms in the mm-hmm. profession are caretakers. But <laughs> I also was thinking, you know, I have to kind of stay true to the idea of like the partnership thing. And I am so in awe of the work of Lacaton and Vassal, the French couple that won the Prisker recently. They have a true partnership. They are so committed to really thoughtful truly sustainable architecture which i think is beautiful and meaningful and i'm really inspired by the work that they do and and their collaboration and how they do it so i thought that was kind of an appropriate choice in the end
3: can you send us like uh something that we could include in our bibliography of their work like a website people should go to okay yeah absolutely i'd like to look them Mm -hmm. up myself
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, out I'm there. telling you just recent Pritzker French French Pritzker <laughs> <laughs> Keywords for Google that's, that's what I wrote uh, But this is great um, Okay, so Kate uh, where can our listeners find you on social media or how would you like our listeners to connect with you?
1: They can reach out to me uh, on Instagram I'm at underscore Craigie underscore is K-R E-G-G-E-Y, oh, oh, sorry, no E-V, that's my last name, um, Craigie. Um, <laughs> I think probably they could also just search for me, Kate Radev, um, on Instagram. And um, yeah, happy to chat, happy to hear how other people deal with uh, partnerships at work, at home, anywhere. Um, yeah. Awesome.
2: Awesome. And also, thank you, Kate, for joining us for taking time yes. from... Yeah, baby. Thank you so much to talk to us.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for the invite. It's been so fun speaking to you all. And I love talking about this kind of thing. So thanks so much for having me.
2: Yeah, we do too. Fellow architectural historians unite. That's right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this has been so great talking to you and listeners. We hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed talking with Kate Uh, please let us know what topics you'd like us to have charrettes on and you might hear a future episode based on your suggestion. Look out for season six of She Builds Podcast in July. And a special thanks to Monograph for their support of this episode. Learn more about Monograph at monograph.com. Again, thank you.
3: She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. What is Gable Media? Well, it's all about building a better world. If this sounds right up your alley, which it probably does, listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com.
2: That's G-A-B-L-Media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our show. We really value your input and feedback. Tell your friends, your mamas, your baby mamas, your future mamas, your mother-in-laws. Tell them to give us five stars on iTunes and write us a review.
0: You can email us your thoughts at SheBuildsPodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website, SheBuildsPodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuilds podcast and on Twitter at shebuilds pod until then bye bye
1: bye i've mentioned it to my family but in terms of telling people like oh yeah we're doing this I'm looking for projects